0: welcome to great loop radio brought to you by america's great loop cruisers association we're dedicated to sharing great loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising planning for or dreaming about a great loop adventure This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today I'd like to welcome back Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services. They are frequent guests on Great Loop Radio, and the topic we'll be covering today is do-it-yourself cruisers maintenance tips, um, which all of us can always use some more of, so we welcome them back to the show. Before we actually start, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates. Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, United Yacht Sales of the Carolinas, and Waterway Guide Media. We encourage all of our loopers and other listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. All right, let's jump into today's topic of do-it-yourself maintenance. Chris and Elise Caldwell, welcome back.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: Doing very well, thank you. How are you? Awesome. It's good.
2: Great to be in Florida. Um, Absolutely. Let's talk about a few things. When you buy a boat, when you own a boat, a lot of the times you're going to be in new places, different places, and sometimes you'll be anchored in the middle of nowhere, which is a great place to anchor. But there's a lot of maintenance items on the boat that you can either hire out or you can do them yourself. Things like changing the oil, changing the fuel filters, checking the cooling system, uh, taking care of your air conditioners and your heaters on board the boat. So let's just talk about a few of these things to give you some ideas of your, not necessarily daily, but maybe your weekly or monthly maintenance that you as a boat owner would do. Keep in mind, if you're doing this maintenance yourself, you're not having to pay somebody. But more important than not having to pay somebody you're not having to wait for that somebody to arrive and do the work, which will make your week longer or your stay in the marina longer.
1: Um, a little while ago we wrote an article for um, Waterway Guide that one of the things we talked about was the definition of cruising and yachting. And cruising is fixing yourself, in, uh, fixing your boat in exotic places. Well, yachting is paying someone to fix your boat in exotic <laughs> The fact of the matter is boats break down, and sometimes it's a simple thing that we could have prevented or we could have expected was going to happen and have the extra part for it. And sometimes it's something that's just a once-in-a-lifetime event and you never knew it. So it's another good thing, reason to have some towing insurance just in case just in case, because things happen. And maybe when it's happening, you're not thinking it's very exciting, but it makes for a good story over docktails later on, right? True. (laughs) So let's start by introducing you to some boat
2: systems aboard your boat, our boats. The most important thing is the engine cooling system. All boat engines below deck are water-cooled engines. Yes, they have antifreeze or coolant like a car does, But instead of having an air-cooled radiator like a car does, we have a water-cooled radiator, which is technically or properly called a heat exchanger. So our boat will actually pull water up from the water it's floating in, run through a strainer to catch any shrimp, minnows, or grass, seaweed. It'll go into a water pump that's got rubber veins. That makes it a self-priming water pump. And then it will cycle that water through the different heat exchangers around the outer periphery of your engine. It will cool the antifreeze. It will cool the oil. It will cool the transmission. It will cool that very hot exhaust manifold. And then it is squirted out the back of the boat through your exhaust hose. Notice I did not say exhaust pipe. The exhaust hose is made of rubber And generally, the exhaust in the hose is less than 200 degrees Fahrenheit. So you need to monitor this cooling system. And the consumable part, big word means it wears out the most often, is the rubber impeller in your raw water pump. Depending upon the horsepower of your engine, this rubber impeller may be between $30 and $100. And it's something that you should learn how to change yourself. If the impeller goes bad, the engine overheats, you can no longer operate your generator or operate your propulsion engine. So it's good for you to learn how to change it yourself. If you're not able or mechanically minded to change it, we urge you to at least own the right spare part and keep it in inventory aboard your boat so you can hire somebody that can come and do it and then you have the right part available so they can come do it, change it, and be gone less than 30 minutes an hour tops. Another thing to keep in mind is fuel. Diesel fuel is not refined as well as kerosene or gasoline, so that's another polite way of saying it's dirtier. The other problem with diesel fuel on recreational boats is it ages, it gets old. Your boat might hold 300 gallons or 800 gallons and it might take you a month or a year to use all of that fuel. So as the fuel ages, dirt appears, asphaltine is one of the bigger uh, heavies that come out of solution, out of the diesel fuel, and your fuel filter catches that. As your engine's running and your fuel filter gets dirtier and dirtier, your engine will struggle to get fuel, so you'll need to know how to change that fuel filter. There's basically two types of fuel filters aboard a boat. The bulkhead fuel filter is bolted onto the bulkhead in your boat. And let's think of that as a primary fuel filter or the first fuel filter in the line. And then your engine, every brand diesel engine manufacturer has their own proprietary fuel filter on the engine. So let's think of that as your secondary fuel filter. Your primary fuel filter on the bulkhead should be fitted with a vacuum gauge. The vacuum gauge will show how much effort is required for that engine to suck fuel through a dirty fuel filter. And let's think of a vacuum gauge paralleling drinking a Coca-Cola through a soda straw. We all know how easy that is. And then take that same soda straw and try to drink a milkshake. So if you've got a dirty fuel filter, think that's the milkshake. Your engine is trying to pull the fuel through that small straw through the very heavy, thick milkshake. And then, of course, that's a clue. You need to change the fuel filter. Another part of the bulkhead fuel filters are bowls. They're clear acrylic Lexan plastic bowls. And you can shine a flashlight into that bowl to see if you have any debris or any water separation that's collected in the bottom of the bowl. So if this is good owner maintenance, call it a visual inspection. Every morning before you start the engines, you check the oil, check the transmission fluid, shine your flashlight on your fuel filter, see what that looks like, or look at the vacuum needle on the
1: vacuum gauge and see what that can tell you. And before we go further, I'm probably imagining some of you are glazed over right now with what is he talking about? It's hard for me to understand if I've never been in an engine room. So I would encourage you to go into your engine room and just sit there and look around. See what's there. See what's clean. See what needs to be cleaned. If you've got things dripping... Even if you don't know what it is, things should not be dripping. (laughs) The only thing that you might be (laughs) with would be your shaft if you've got a a traditional dripless shaft. But just sitting in that engine room every morning for a few minutes and doing the basic fundamentals of checking your fluids allows you to look around and see what at least it's supposed to look like, what's supposed to be normal, so that when something is not normal, you can at least point that out and start with, all right, why is that dripping, leaking, um, uh, burned color? The paint is, is not the same color as the paint and the, and the uh, piece of equipment right next to it. There's all kinds of clues that just sitting in an engine room you can, you can learn and discover. And if you're one of the um, uh, lucky ones who are just dreaming right now and you still don't have that boat, that's something you might want to consider is taking a course on what you're going to find in your engine room. You don't have to be um, a, an engine technician. You don't have to be certified mechanic in order to understand some of the real basic, easy, simple things to do in your engine room to make your trip so much more enjoyable and predictable. That's the big part of it is if you do predicted maintenance, you prevent a lot of problems from happening in the long run. For a
2: lot of our listeners, if you do not already own a larger cruising boat, you can go online. Of course, you can go on our webpage and look at maintenance items. We do photo journals. You can also go on to Yacht World. And if you've got a dream boat that you're looking at, you can go through the photo journal of that boat that's available for sale and look at the photographs in the engine room. Look at the propulsion engine, the generator engine, the seawater pump, the injector pump, the fuel filters. When boats are for sale, all of the boat brokers brag about the ease of accessibility and the ease of maintenance on the boat that they're trying to sell. So they will show these photographs to you so you can start looking and learning on the internet. Some other things that we want to talk about, and of course we can talk about engine cooling and fuel filters forever and ever and ever, difficult to do on the radio, but some other simpler things to think about is your depth gauge on your boat. A depth gauge basically is an ultrasonic transducer that sends a sound wave down, bounces off the bottom, comes back up, And then magically, the computer will tell you how deep the water is. But we want to go a step beyond that. If your boat draws four feet of water, it's drafting four feet of water, and the depth gauge transducer is drilled through the bottom of the boat properly, and let's say that that depth gauge is two feet underwater, or it's two feet above the keel, so when you read that depth gauge, it's only going to tell you where the depth gauge sensor is. It doesn't really tell you how deep the water is. So again, something difficult to explain on the radio, but if your boat is four feet deep and your transducer is two feet on water and it reads ten feet, how deep is the water? So you look at the transducer reading 10 feet and 2 feet below water, then that means the water is actually 12 feet deep. That's not important to me. The thing that's important to me is, will my boat run aground? When you're looping, you're doing a lot of river work, lake work, and then when you get to the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean, you're getting into tidal areas. Some tides might be 3 feet per change of tide, Other tides in Georgia and the Carolinas may be eight feet. So my fear, not my fear, but my way of boating is I don't care how deep the water is. I care how much water is under my boat. So if you can go into the computer software on your depth gauge display, you can subtract two feet out of that. So if your depth gauge now reads 8 feet, that means there's 8 feet of water underneath your boat. That's what I want to know. Will my boat touch bottom or will my boat be okay to keep on going? And some tricky places that you want to depend on your depth gauge is northern Florida in the St. Augustine, Jacksonville area, Fernandina Beach, all of Georgia, all of South Carolina, and most of North Carolina. Because these tides can be as much as eight feet, and if you're coming through and it's low tide, are you going to touch or are you going to get stuck? You need to know your depth gauge. You need to trust it, and you need to believe it.
0: Good information, Chris. Um, Thank you for that. Um, If we're finished with the um, depth gauge, let's take a break for a moment and play a message from one of our sponsors, and we can come back and move on to the air conditioners and heat pump. Wonderful. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.com. keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. Order yours today at the AGLCA Ship Store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we're talking about some basic do-it-yourself maintenance that all boat owners, especially loopers, should know how to do, whether they're um, learning it for um, the sake of safety or to save money or to save time. Um, these are some basic tasks that just about anybody can do themselves. And, of course, we're walking through that with Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services. Um, we have covered a few topics, but we've got a few more that we want to delve into. So I believe the next is air conditioners and heat pump.
1: Absolutely. Um, we, we like our creature comfort. And um, one of our, one of our um, looper friends said she wanted to be where the weather was always like it was in October and May, and, and in theory, that's the way it should be when you're traveling the loop because you're, you're going north in the summertime into the Great Lakes, and you're going south in the wintertime into Florida and the Bahamas and the Keys, and so it should be rather temperate. But occasionally, you get some hot, hot summers, and you get some cool winters, and you do need your air conditioning or your heater. So you might think, well, okay. Um, one of us on the trip is going to be dealing with the engine work, and, and that's not me. Well, this isn't necessarily engine, but it's important to everybody. Um, if you've got some issues with hot weather and you really want that air conditioner to work, the last thing you want to happen is your filters to clog up, something very simple and easy to do for anyone if they know how it works. And just imagine that you might be on the boat by yourself for a day or two or more. You don't want to have to pay somebody to come take care of a problem that you could easily have um, anticipated and fixed. And so Chris will talk to you about just how those air conditioners and heat pumps work and how you can do it yourself to make sure that it continues working and everybody's happy on board. Well, here's the thing to think about with air
2: conditioners on board the boat. Everybody who has an air conditioner in their house knows you've got that big box with the fan out in the side yard. That's an air-cooled radiator air conditioning system, the most common available. On the boat, since the boat's floating in water, we have a water-cooled air conditioning system, which makes it a lot more effective. So in a water-cooled air conditioning system, The water comes in through a valve, again, through a strainer, just like the engine does, and it goes into a water pump. This time it's not a self-priming pump. It's a centrifugal pump, which may get air bubbles in it, and it will not self-prime. So you have to learn how to prime it yourself. Generally, that's not a problem unless you're out in very rough water where the air conditioner gets air bubbles in the water pump the next thing to think about is that water goes around your Freon compressor and it cools off that hot Freon then the cold Freon will go to the different air handlers throughout the boat, forward stateroom aft stateroom, saloon so that's in a nutshell the way that the air conditioner works but the key part is the raw water cooling system since you're conditioner is used more often when the boat is stopped in the marina or stopped at anchor, chances are the strainer will get fouled with seaweed, shrimp, and other debris. So if your air conditioner control panel flashes a signal which everybody sees as high P5, that's H-I and P5. That's a code that actually means high pressure. The P5 is PS in reality, but it appears to be the numeral five. So high P5 means high pressure. High pressure means that the Freon is high pressure because it got hot. It got hot because your strainer got clogged up with debris and you no longer have water flowing. So high P5 means go clean out the strainer. <laughs> Get the muck out of the strainer, start the water flowing again, and then your air conditioning system will operate like it's supposed to. Another thing to think about these air conditioners. Air conditioner in the cooling mode and then the heat pump in the heating mode. All of this works off of about a, a temper um, a temperature differential from the water that the boat is floating in. So I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm thinking, if you're in the cold waters of the rivers or of the Great Lakes and it's 50 degrees, meaning the water temperature is 50 degrees, your heat pump can only increase 18 degrees above the water temperature. So that means if you're cold, floating in 50 degree water, and you turn on the heat pump it will only give you 68 degrees of warm air may not be as hot as you would like it to be because the water is cold the opposite happens if you're in the Florida Keys in the summertime and let's say that the water in the Florida Keys is 90 degrees hot in August and in September and you want the air conditioner to cool the boat we're working with two factors here one it will only cool minus 18 degrees or cool to 72 degrees. And you think that's fine, that's the way I like my house. But the reality is the Freon might be putting out 72 degrees of cool air, but because you're in the Florida Keys in the summertime, the hot sun is burning through those big windows in your cruising boat, so it's not very efficient because you're on a boat and the water is hotter. So what we do as cruisers is we get on our bicycles and we ride away somewhere all day long and come back in the evenings when the sun is going down and the air conditioner can actually cool your boat. So those are things to think about with heat pumps and air conditioners. The most important thing is high P5, high pressure, and that your sea strainer may be clogged with debris. Mud, seaweed, shrimp, Little minnow fish, things like that.: All right,
0: we've got about so five or six minutes left, so um, what's our final topic?
2: Okay, the final topic is really fun. The autopilot electronic compass, also properly called a fluxgate compass. Everybody knows that compasses are magnetic, and the magnetic compass on your dashboard. Don't put your cell phone next to it. Don't put your handheld radio next to it. And don't put a can of peaches or pork and beans next to it because the metal in the cans or your tool bag and the magnets and the speakers in your handheld radio will distort the compass. It'll give you a bad compass reading. That's simple. Everybody knows that may have forgotten, but I reminded you, but the big deal it's a flux gate compass that operates your autopilot. First question, where is it? Second question, before going to hunt for it, what does it look like? It is kind of sort of a small thing like a, a hard baseball, not a softball, but a smaller hard baseball. Generally, they're black plastic, and they will have a name on them. If you've got a Ray Marine autopilot, it will say Ray Marine on the compass. If you've got a Simrad, it'll say Simrad. Garmin, it'll say Garmin. So those are some huge clues. They try to get them at the lowest center of gravity in the boat possible, which means they'll go in the bilge somewhere or very near the floorboards, the forward part of the boat. So the reason that we want you to learn where your flux gate compass is is so you don't put a tool bag near it, so you don't put all your pots and pans or your canned food products next to the compass and if you do that not knowing where the compass is located and you call a technician to come out there you're going to have to pay two hours minimum service charge for him to say move your pots and pans so it's cute it's fun but learn where it is so that you don't make that mistake another thing about the autopilot electronic compass is it removes doubt for variation and deviation aboard your boat. So, if your autopilot compass disagrees with your magnetic compass, keep in mind on all of your charts you have a annual variation on the chart that you have to figure into your your course lines plotting your course, and then you should have a compass card aboard your boat showing the vessel's deviation. So this is simple math, and you'll learn that in a navigation course, but the electronic compass has to be swung. So when you install a brand-new electronic compass onto your boat, the installer will make you drive the boat in three-and-a-half circles. So you might take an eighth-of-a-mile or a quarter-of-a-mile diameter circle, run the boat in three-and-a-half circles. That's how the electronic compass is figuring the variation and the deviation of your local geography and of the boat. So that's the reason that that brand new electronic compass doesn't agree with your old magnetic compass. The old, mag- the old magnetic compass has not been um, upgraded,
1: and the electronic compass has. When we come to the Looper Palooza, we will have some of these parts that we spoke about, so if you're completely a novice, um, you can come see us and we'll show you some of these things. We have a lot of photographs on our website, and we would encourage you to take classes so that you can understand how easy it is, not to be afraid of it, but how easy it is to do to do it yourself when you're cruising and, and save those dollars for your marinas rather than your maintenance or at least have the spare part ready to go when that um, tech comes aboard your boat to do what you you think is a little bit beyond your pay grade
0: (laughs) all right chris and elise thank you for all that information Um, if you're not familiar with the looper palooza event that elise mentioned chris and elise will be presenting there um, it is January 20th and 21st in Fort Myers, Florida. That is 20th and 21st of January of 2017. Uh, so coming up in just a few months from now, um, there are three tracks the gold looper reunion for our gold loopers, a route briefing for our current loopers, and a looper lifestyle seminar for our planners. And Chris and oh, wow. Elise will be presenting at two of those tracks um, Presenting in the Route Briefing on the Bahamas and presenting in the Looper Lifestyle on um, some of the Looper 101-type issues that we covered um, in that session, which is geared towards planners. So, Chris and Elise, if anybody is not going to be at the Looper Lifestyle event or if they have questions that simply can't wait until January, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: They can either send us an email at Chris at They can go on the forum and post a question that we'll be glad to answer. Uh, They can look us up under the um, Lieutenant Sponsors on on the Great Loop website, Mm -hmm. or they can give us a call, 772-205-1859.
2: Or something that's real easy to remember, you don't have to write down, is (laughs) askcaptainchris.com.
0: There you go. Perfect. And uh, Chris and Elise also offer um, several seminars of their own, which are all listed on their website. So we encourage you to check that out. Uh, more information on the Looper Palooza events is on our website, which is at www.greatloop.org. We hope to see many of you there. Um, Chris and Elise, once again, thank you for joining us again on Great Loop Radio. We really appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge. And for all of our listeners, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.
2: Thank you for inviting my-